There is only one thing on this earth more powerful than evil, and that's us. Hi, I'm Nicholas Brendan, and you're listening to the Buffy Back Issue Ben. Welcome to the Buffy Back Issue Ben, the show where we go through all the Buffy and Angel comics that are canon chronologically, except for this show where we're not doing that thing and we're picking and choosing things that happened far earlier in the run. Just because they're one-shots, though. It fits better like this. Really, the reason that we're doing the one-shots now is kind of assuming that not everyone who is listening to the show has also read the comics, and if we did these one-shots in the order that they came out, then they would ruin some surprises. So we're here. I'm Emily. Oh, and I'm Zach. Huh. Fancy that. Should you turn on the microphone? Yes. Mm-hmm. Gonna double-check that now that I said it. Yes. Good for you. You've never forgotten on this show. You say it like I have. I haven't on this show. I know. I said you've never forgotten on this <laughs> you show. You said it real sarcastically. It's the other show I've forgotten it from time to time, and the sound quality goes way down. <laughs> Everybody knows it. Only the people listen to that show. Anyway. The first one shot that we are covering today is Goddesses and Monsters, which I assume is a riff on the old Pride of Frankenstein line, Gods and Monsters, done by Ernest Thessinger, who played Dr. Pretorius. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm connecting all the things I like. So that would be Universal Monsters with Buffy. And comics. And comics. Yeah. Perfect. We're going to treat this like a Simpsons Halloween episode. We're going to start strong, get weak in the middle, and finish off with a good one. Goddesses and Monsters, not shockingly, is all about Willow, whose new catchphrase is... Oh, goddess. Or, oh, my goddess. 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 Uh, Yeah, that's an annoying trait she picked up. Yeah, I don't remember that one from the show. Ah, because it wasn't there. She also didn't wear as many corsets. No, but that's okay. Here we are, and we start off with a Harry Potter reference, Yep, which I appreciated. This issue is written by Joss Whedon, art by Carl Malone, who did all of the fray art, and our cover is by Joe Chen. And just for time placement, where we are is we are pre-season eight. So Willow is all of a sudden in a very similar facsimile of... Harry um, Potter. Yep, of the Hogwarts Express. At track 9.33. Right. What's the real one? Platform nine and three quarters. Okay, you said that so fast. Yeah, at King's Cross Station. I've been there to King's Cross and took a picture by platform nine and three quarters. Anyway... We are with a whole bunch of wizarding children on brooms with wands and blue robes and all sorts of fun stuff. And Willow is talking to a lady in a wheelchair. And Willow's like, this seems real fake. What What's happening here? And we're all kind of with Willow on that. Why are we stereotyping this thing that we don't know that we're stereotyping yet? We'll find out soon. We will. But wheelchair lady agrees. Yes. Yes, yes, we are scratching the surface, so let's move along to the next level down, and we find ourselves in a field with flowers. And then literally the next level down, when Willow sinks into the earth, and the wheelchair lady's like, don't think about suffocating, because then you'll suffocate. Suffocate, 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 suffering succotash. Except for that last bit. I thought it was funny. It was. It would have been funnier if they put it in here. I know it's funny, because you said... It was versus actually laughing at it. That's how I know it was funny. <laughs> what do you identify? Funny. Good joke. I like to analyze it. <laughs> I like to give you actual feedback as opposed to just laughing. <laughs> I could just be laughing at the ridiculousness. I'd appreciate the natural reaction that happens. You I know, like mine better. Laughter versus good. Good joke. So Willow and Wheelchair Lady, they fall down, they land on their backs, and this 
weird snake green half naked lady kind of like a centaur snake i don't know why you're acting like we haven't seen this one before this is our half naked demon green snake lady alowen who we've seen many a time and who willow has had many naked and naughty adventures with so this is nice because we kind of get an intro to why alowen exists which would have been a better title what naked and naughty adventures less this would have sold better with that title goddesses and monsters is more aptly about this story yeah okay so we find out that three days earlier willow and kennedy are talking they have terrible nicknames for each other by the way they have amazing nicknames for each they other they have terrible nicknames willow's nickname for kennedy is kendall and kennedy's nickname for willow is willpower both amazing both terrible we cut back to willow and kennedy who are Walking along a Slayer compound, presumably in Scotland, I suppose. And Willow is trying to explain why she has decided to go on a... Mystical walkabout. Yeah, like a witch's ritual. Because she hasn't really... She has a ton of power, but she hasn't really gone through the normal education that a witch would go through. This really is a good continuation of the show. Uh, Previously in Season 5, when the Watcher's Council came to Willow and Tara, they were like, hey... Like, what level of a witch are you? They're like, what's a level? Like, seven. We're level seven. Is that good? <laughs> a high level. So we've established this before, that there are witchy things that Willow has not traditionally done. And Kennedy sends her on her way. She's like, I am going to miss, you know, our nudie adventures, but I'm monogamous. Hope you are too. Bye. Yeah, the so. last thing that, that Kennedy says is, don't forget about me. Also, it's not don't forget me, it's don't forget about me, which somehow seems even more fatalistic. Well, because it's more Billy Idol that way. Don't you forget about me. Don't, 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 don't you. Know you. Perfect? So many people are angry at you right now. No, it's really from the Breakfast Club, right? Yes, it's yeah. from the Breakfast Club. But also Pitch Perfect. I knew that one less. You've seen it, though. It's less John Hughesy more singy then can we sing it a cappella? you can i already did and i'll continue <laughs> i have no doubt we cut back to the present and by the present i mean the beginning of season eight and willow is falling down with alowen until she finds a black knight is this monty python yeah probably yeah willow's like what am i doing have like, you seen that movie yeah i've seen parts of it hmm more people are yelling at you hmm Or really you. It's really your fault that I haven't seen it. You make things appear on the TV in front of me, and I choose whether or not to sleep through them. (laughs) That is is how my film education goes. And there's a Black Knight saying that Willow can't pass. Yeah, isn't isn't the Black Knight the one who gets all his limbs chopped off and he says, only a flesh wound? Yes. See? I have seen it. Parts of it. And the Black Knight and Alwyn are talking about Willow about how she can or cannot pass. And in fact, she shall not pass. And the Black Black Knight's like, you're going to corrupt her. And for whatever reason, Willow is being totally ignored. And then in an unexplained scenario, she starts speaking only in song lyrics. Most of these I know from like Disney slash DreamWorks movies, but that's fine. Don't go breaking my heart. Yeah. Our Black Knight takes a swing at Willow. She goes, don't go breaking my heart. And she just blows him up. His arbor is reduced to nothing, and he is lying nude on a beach. 
Yeah, and the idea is that she was caught in this loop and that he was part of the thing that she had to destroy to get down deeper. We still don't really know the full purpose of this particular self-exploration, but... And Willow walks away. She's like, love is a battlefield. Song, lyrics. Yeah. And Alwyn is about to take her over the ocean in a boat. A boat with a few lovely hearts on it. And Willow goes, wait. This is not the journey that I'm supposed to be on. You're not my guide. None of this makes sense. This is a bunch of crap. This is all so stereotypical. And then a bunch of terrifyingly large ladies appear. And we've seen them before. When Warren was operating on Willow's face that then she recovered from in the very beginning of season eight, we saw these mystical beings. And they're like, hey, she figured it out that it wasn't her path. It takes most people longer than that. And then it gets confusing because they're like, get out of here, Alwyn. You're not supposed to be here in the first place. Yeah. So which is it? Did she figure it out quicker or was Alwyn not supposed to be there? This is within the same page. Make up your mind story. So the there are three of these main... Can we call them goddesses? Are they goddesses? Oh, goddess. I'm going to go yes. So there are three of these main goddesses that keep talking to Willow. And one of them says, there are many guides on this path to wisdom. And while Will was on this quest for finding out more about her own power and gaining wisdom and strength, they say, there are many guides on the path to wisdom, but do you have one in mind? And then for me, probably like, you know, this is my glassy-eyed moment of season eight. You had a lot of them. No, this is really it. This is the biggie. I feel like you had another one too. Child's dying? Nah. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Listener, you can know better than I can. You might have paid better attention. Yeah, when we turn our page for who could potentially be Willow's guide. And it's Tara. Dressed exactly as she was in season six, episode seven, Once More with Feeling. And the coloring on this is beautiful. It's Tara with the sun setting behind her and the lights catching her just right. And it's just this perfect panel of reds and yellows and oranges. And it's beautiful it's a beautiful page and willow just says tara and then a single tear rose down her cheek single sexy tear no just a single tear nope nope i stick by single sexy tear and the only other word out of willow's mouth is no no thank you and she just that's many words okay it's four the next four words out of willow's mouth are no no thank you and she just wipes her hand in front of the image of tara and goddesses her back and it basically comes down to willow knows that Tara is at peace, and if it was, it wouldn't really be her that was leading her. Right. And that Willow accepts that what she was really doing there was she was hoping that Tara would be her guide, her witch's guide, but that once she got down to that level of those goddesses, she knew that it wasn't that either Tara was at peace or that that guide would have just been an illusion of Tara, that neither one were real. And one of the goddesses starts crying. It's very sad. I'm with her. The math goddess. I'm less with her because she's about math. She's definitely the math goddess. Though. Yeah, I know, but I don't like math. I know. This was really sad, is that Willow finally explains that she wanted to understand her power, but she was trying to figure out if she was going to be a good witch or a bad witch, and underneath all of that, she really just wanted to find Tara and this is what she says. She says, she was my light. She was my order. She was my journey completed. And that's so sad. Oh, God, that, yeah. Because Willow's just on this journey to try and figure out life again. Doesn't that break your heart? I love the two of them together. Yeah. 
I don't think I've already done the explanation on the show about how Tara was supposed to come back. Did I do that? I'm sure you did. Yeah, probably. I've heard it so many times, I feel like everybody has. <laughs> I think I did it on the show. I might not have if I didn't. There's Let me know. Tara right there. Hi, Tara. Ah. She's in the podcast studio. Oh, God, I'm so pudgy in that photo. Moving Look at those on. cheeks. Not the most flattering angle for you. I was also at my pudgiest, Peak Pudge. Peak Pudge. If we ever had a pug, I would name him Peak Pudge. <laughs> Legitimately. I'm Svelter now. You are Svelter now. So the goddesses are like, fine, so you don't want Tara. Or whatever Fake was Tara. going to be Tara. So who do you want as your guide? And Willow goes, well, I do have somebody in mind. And we cut back to... Alowen yelling at the Black Knight and the wheelchair lady. She's like, you screwed up. I was going to get to manipulate the most powerful witch of her age and you all messed everything up and for some reason willow emerges nude from a lake yeah hello and willow's just like yeah you have a bit of a reputation so do i let's see if we can work together on this one because that time that willow was evil yeah and she basically says that she's going to learn the truth because she knows that alowen is a liar and she'll always know that she's lying and that's how she'll learn the truth of her power yes I guess you could go with someone truthful. It seems easier. It does, but, you know, Willow picked her path, so. And we have some foreshadowing. Halloween's like, you're putting yourself in my hands. And Willow's like, I expect it will come to that. Nudie shenanigans. So, thus ends this one shot. Not the most earth shattering. I liked filling in the gaps of who this green snake lady was. Whatever. I didn't know if I needed a full one shot for it, but... Well, I mean, really, this episode that we're doing now, this is the last one where we kind of have to be picking and choosing things. Things after this are going to become a lot more straightforward as far as the timeline goes, which I greatly appreciate. And then we're going to talk about, this is our middle week part, we're going to try and end strong so you remember to come back to the show. Really peek behind the curtain. <laughs> Keep going. Whatever. Uh, we're going to be dealing with Two Tales of the Vampires. The first one we're going to talk about is going to be The Thrill, written by... Becky Coolin with art by, oh boy. Becky Cloonan. Well, if Cloonan's the name I screwed up, let me confidently say Vasilis Losos. Vasilis Lolos. Vasilis Lolos. All right, we said that with confidence. I'm so sorry to everybody that actually participated in the creation of these two stories. And then the second one, Carpe Noctum, story by Jackie Kessler. Yes. And art by, I got this one, Paul Lee. Oh, yeah. Not Polly like in Rocky, but Paul Lee. So uh, we start out in Nashua, New Hampshire, which is kind of fun. Welcome to New England, vampires. Yep. And they have to say wicked because, you know. It's in Nashua, New Hampshire. As far as placement of the story goes, this is after Harmony has gotten her reality show. Vampires are running amok. And by amok, I mean they are not killing people, but biting people for thrills is publicly a thing that's out there. And no longer in shady abandoned homes like what Riley was doing. Yeah. This is called The Thrill. And I kind of, I like the concept of seeing what normal, quote unquote, normal people's and vampires' lives were like with all of these changes that are happening. It's like that Next Generation episode where we got to see what happened with the people who weren't, like, the commanding officers. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about, but I will believe that. And we get a young boy named Jacob who likes to go to arcades and waste his quarters. 
and he has a crush on a girl named Alex, who's really his only friend in Nashua, New Hampshire. But Alex doesn't like the company that Jacob's been keeping recently. Spoiler alert, they're vampires. One night... Look, let's just cut to the short and the long of it. He meets a girl named... May. May. And May is like, ooh, you're cute, Jacob. And then he goes and finds some vampire friends of his who he likes to sell his body to for them to suck on him. And then he gets a euphoric high from their blood sucking. But because Jacob has gotten a date with Alex, he's in a really good place and he doesn't really want to have the vampires feed on him. And they get mad, so they beat him up, and they almost kill him. So May saves him by turning him into a vampire. Yeah. And then has sex with his dead body. Oh, I guess I didn't realize that was real. I thought that was fake. Yeah. I thought that was a dream. I'm going to keep believing it's a dream. It makes me feel better. She's getting dressed after having sex with him. Oh. She only got, like, partially dressed. She has her underpants on. So Jacob... High on the afterlife, because he's a vampire now, is as happy as can be. He's a vampire, and he goes about doing vampire things. And right before he was going to get turned into a vampire, he had made a date with Alex. Aww. Yeah, so Alex, she's like, what happened? Like, I thought that we were going to have a date, and then you just disappeared for days. And Jacob's like, look, like, something happened. And then before he can tell her, May shows up, and May's like, yeah, you got turned into a vampire. We're both vampires. Everybody's a vampire now. And Alex gets super mad. Because, spoilers, Alex is a slayer. Yes. And kills May. And then Jacob's like, oh, I'm a vampire too. Boy, you are giving a weird read of this story. <laughs> Jacob becomes that asshole who likes to quote statistics at you for like a very specific thing. He's like, drunk drivers kill more people than we do. And so he's like, why are you a slayer? And she's like, I didn't ask to be a slayer. So he's like, you're going to kill me. He gets really mad at her. And so then he starts to suck her blood and almost kills her and says, Alex, Alex, can you hear me? Come with me. Live forever. And then he may or may not turn her. Who the hell knows? We never see them again. It doesn't matter. This story is kind of pointless. I like the idea of it. The actuality of it. I was waiting for there to be some sort of connection to somebody that we knew, but this is a little too removed for me. Yeah, it does nothing. The next one at least ties into the world a little bit more. Yeah, so this one's called Carpe Noctum, which I enjoyed the name. The short version here is we are dealing with two roommates that are both vampires and may or may not enjoy the new vampire lifestyle. One likes the celebrity aspect of, like, we can suck on humans and it's fine and everyone wants to get bitten by us now. The other one's like, we are not pets. We are not kept. We are not... We are monsters. Yeah. We don't have demands put on us. We kill. And now because of Harmony, we don't get to do that anymore. But we have Sin and Ash, our two girls. So Sin is our cynical vampire who misses the hunt, misses killing people. Ash is the Harmony clone yeah essentially in order to get into clubs she'll flash her fangs so ash drags sin out to a club and this guy comes up and starts talking to her and he's like oh you're a vampire so they go into the alley so that she can suck his blood he's too excited about it yeah he's just like do it do it right and she's like i'm gonna kill you now yeah and she kills him now yep she goes you want to touch me You want me to be your pet? And then she goes, I'm no one's pet. And then she kills him. Good times. And she's so excited about it. 
And the following night, she's going to go out again, mostly because she wants to murder some folk. So she and Ash go out. Ash brings a boy home, a human. Because she wants to engage in this weird voyeuristic sex act where Ash is going to suck this guy's blood and have sex with him and Sin is going to watch or join in. Or suck his blood. Unclear. It's not really clear because fairly quickly into the whole thing, Ash goes, come on in, Sin. The water's fine. And Sin does not come in just to suck his blood. Instead, she goes over and kills him. By sucking his blood. Well, yes, I suppose. And basically she's like, we can do whatever we want because we're monsters. And in retaliation, Ash stakes her and she's like, you're a bitch. Pretty much. Ash is only sad that she killed Sin before she could replace the TV that she broke earlier in the issue. That we never mentioned. No. Probably should have. Yeah, whatever. It's minor. I like this second one more. Me too. It adds, you know, the vampire perspective at least. Yeah, and it's a little bit more connected to the whole world that we're in. I appreciate that. All right, so now that we've dealt with two kind of weaker ones, let's end on a high. As far as placement goes, this would be sometime after the beginning of the season. Not exactly clear when. Probably between arcs two and three, when Buffy finds out the Twilight's a thing and before she goes to the future. Yeah, you're kind of bearing the lead on this. It's all about Riley. You'll see very quickly. Oh, this is definitely the best one we're going to talk about, though, to kind of wrap up our Season 8 discussion. This issue is called Commitment Through Distance, Virtue Through Sin. Written by Jane Espenson with pencils once again for the second time in this episode by Carl Malone, the fray artist. Sure it's not Malone. Shoot. So, we open up this issue with Riley and his wife Sam in what I assume is Iowa where Riley is from because he's out seeing his mom. And there's dogs. They have dogs. They didn't actually say Iowa. You're giving me no credit for identifying Iowa off of memory. I just assumed that you knew where it was. I was more focused on the dogs. We're on a farm and there are dogs. And they're discussing whether or not Riley should help Buffy out. Well, they're doing a little more covertly in conversation. The short version is Twilight has come to Riley. He's like, come join my cause fight against magic and riley's like i don't think i should do that and his wife sab is like you should totally do that and then spy on him and tell on buffy yeah but buffy has actually asked riley to do it yeah i feel like twilight came to riley and then riley went buffy and then buffy was bad like, things do it do it and then she's like "Ooh, go spy for me he's like do i have to and then his wife is like yes do that thing and so Riley and Sam are talking, and Riley's like, but that's not the point. The point was that we were going to get out of all of that, that we're here in the farm, Iowa, Iowa, that we're here, and we're just going to raise corn and pigs, and we're going to be happy and off the grid, and everything's great. While they're driving out to some unknown location, and Riley... silo. And Riley basically says to Sam, are you telling me to do this thing so in the future you can go back to the military and do some kind of crazy suicide mission? She's like... No, it's... Okay, it's totally that. Yeah. But she's like, but you know what? I am actually very secure about this whole thing that I'm pushing you at your ex to go do something. It's all fine. Well, they're married and Buffy is Buffy. Yeah. They get to the silo. The Um, general lets them in. A missile silo. And we cut over to Twilight. And we see Twilight has gone down into a crypt. God, that's a Buffy thing. Let's go into a crypt. It is, yeah. How many crypts are there? Evidently quite a few. 
and we find out well as twilight takes off his mask and he has bad hair because of it his scared hair does not stand up after being under a sweaty mask right that it's angel well we already knew that we did but if you were reading this in chronological order it would have totally ruined all of the twilight mystery because there is no mystery it is very clear that angel is twilight yep and angel talks to whistler you remember whistler he was in two episodes in season two. I do now. I kind of forgot about him, if we're being honest. Originally, Whistler was supposed to be Doyle over on the Angel side of things, but your favorite term, scheduling conflicts, meant that it didn't happen, and a character who was definitely set up to be a big deal was never seen from again until now. And his role, if you don't remember, was originally setting Angel on his path by getting him out of alleyways, eating on rats, and shows him Buffy, so he gets himself cleaned up and buys a lot of trench coats. Yep. So Angel's talking to Whistler, and he says, I hate it all, Whistler. I hate the plan. And it's kind of the first, not the first, but it's a look at, at Twilight <sighs> Angel's inner thoughts. Because all we really saw of Twilight before was the grandstanding. We never got to see him doubting himself. It was always the, we're doing this, and we're doing that, and when Buffy dies, she won't die quietly, and blah, 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 and that jackass right whistler's like well too bad it's the only thing with a chance of working this plan (laughs) thank you you're welcome we leave them for a moment to have riley and sam go disable a missile which has some preset coordinates in it and they're like huh weird that this missile in the middle of iowa was gonna go to these weird coordinates we should go check out what was there so they do and riley's like i hope that joining twilight will not Cost me something from my soul. And they go out to the middle of the ocean where the bomb's preset coordinates were, and they were like, hey, there's nothing here. But a little island. But then a totally separate bomb goes off and shoots out a bunch of little bombs that surround an island that basically say, hey, idiot, go here. Yes. And while all this is going on, we see that Whistler and Angel are talking. And Angel wants to find another path. And Whistler starts talking about that he's connected to the powers and that he can see many different futures and that this is the one with the highest chance of success of Angel not telling Buffy what's going on and that this is how they save the world. Or that he has the choice. He can either choose the world and save everything or choose the girl and lose Angel has a very flippant thing, and he's like, do you think Riley's going to join up? He's like, I don't know. I never know what Buffy saw on that guy anyway. Poor Riley. Angel is petty. I like Riley. God, Angel is petty. Riley is by far the most well-adjusted of them, clearly. Oh, yeah, except for that time he was on steroids. Yeah, that wasn't great. Since Riley and Sam are sitting in this boat in the water around this island that has now been surrounded by missiles, they're like, hey, maybe we should go see what's going on on this island they hop on the island and they find a cave with a general standing outside it and he's like go inside someone is waiting for you which seems ominous but they do it anyway that's what happens to me every day at work i have a general waiting for me this is go inside somebody's waiting for you he's like open the store you're definitely 10 minutes late i'm like i'm 10 minutes late every day get off me general are you really i mean no your day starts when my day is exactly half over I do things in the morning. I do things in the afternoon. But Sam is pushing Riley towards joining up Twilight, which is convenient because they're at Twilight's army. 
and Twilight slash Angel is like, join with me and we can rule the galaxy together as father and son. Not quite, but kind of disturbingly close to that. Yeah. Minus the father and son bit. Angel's old enough to be like his great, great, great yeah. grandfather. Well old enough. And so Angel is talking to Riley and he's like, do you need her permission to be parted, a.k.a. Sam? And Riley says, no, it's okay. We're together even when we're not. He's like, nah, bro, I got this. That's precious. Good job, Riley, for having an emotionally stable relationship unlike anybody else in this entire world. He lost his scar. Yeah. When he came back in season six, he had a scar. Well, he doesn't have it anymore. He healed. Twilight says that he needs a symbol of Riley's devotion, which is just carving the Twilight symbol into his chest, which we've seen on many people. He got a new scar now. Yeah. Ooh, brand new scar. We'll never see it again. And he says the exact same words that Whistler said to him. Choose the world or choose the girl. And while this is happening, Riley quietly says to himself, Buffy. Yes. Riley chose right, you son of a bitch. Harsh. But this one was much better than the other ones. This is by far the best one. I liked this one because not only did it tell a different side of the story that we've been seeing all along, but it filled in some of the gaps, furthered characters' personalities and backstories. I liked a lot of it. Yeah, this is definitely the best one of these one-shots that we were going to talk about. And while we wrap this up, our season eight talk, there's an afterword written by Joss that we should deal with before we kind of give general thoughts and impressions of the season as a whole. So, an afterword written by Buffy and Angel creator, Joss Whedon. Have you heard of that guy before? Never. He directed a big movie or two. Hmm. Was it pitch perfect? Afterward. So... Our endless season ends. We've laughed. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Sorry. I won't commentate. We've laughed. We've cried. We've thrown up a little in our mouths. But most of all, we've learned. Not you guys, us. We've learned what you like, what you don't, how this TV show translated to the world of comics, and how it didn't quite. We've lost a few fans along the way and, hopefully, gained a few. I can't say exactly how much has changed in our lives or work. The only thing that's certain is this. All of us involved in this venture, without exception, have weirder looking hair. If you've read this volume, you've got a sense of where we're headed for season nine. Back a bit to the everyday trials that made Buffy more than a superhero, that made her us. I was so excited to finally have an unlimited budget that I wanted to make the book an epic. But I realized along the way that the things I loved the best were the things that you loved the best, the peeps the down-to-earth, recognizable people, and Mechadon. She has a tail! I do love Mechadon. So that's what we'll try to evoke next season, along with the usual perils and a few new ones, of course. Every season of Buffy had a different intent and a different set of challenges from which to build. The biggest challenge in season eight was that many years ago, I wrote a Slayer comic and set it in the far future so that it could never affect Buffy's life. I was so young. But the challenge of reconciling the optimistic, empowering message of the final episode with the dystopian, slayerless vision of Frey's future gave season eight a genuine weight. There is never progress without hateful, reactionary blowback. That's never been more apparent than in today's political scene in America. Side note, this is like 2010. 2011. Joss will have a different opinion 
in a couple of years based on his Twitter account. The mission was to deal with the consequences of Buffy and Willow's empowering spell, the good and the terrible. Steer toward a possible fray future without undoing all the good Buffy has done, the girls still have their power, and tee us up for a very different season nine. Some adjustments had to be made along the way, particularly when I completely changed my plan for season nine. I changed it for the reasons stated above. No matter how interesting the world stage or mystical dimensions can be, Buffy's best when she's walking that alley, dusting vamps, and nursing a pouty heart. We're not going back to square one, but our square will definitely have a one-ishness to it. It should be nice, after the wild ride that was season eight. Not always perfect, but made with love and delight that I think shine through. The people who need to be thanked really deserve more than just thanks. But we're all too scattered for the inappropriate touching required to convey my gratitude and occasional awe. Scott Alley is why there are editors. Smart, patient, pushy when it's time to be pushy, straddling the minutiae and the big picture in a way any showrunner would envy. George's. No book without George's. Are you sure it's not George? I don't know. George's. No book without George's. If I didn't make the smoothest transition from TV to comics, he sure as hell did. He drew wonderful likenesses that never felt like portraits, and panels that were dynamic, funny, and emotional. No one could have evoked the ethos of the show better. Joe Chen's covers made me cry. I won't say more, or I'll cry. If I start listing the writers, this will be longer than the comic. But Drew Goddard writes the stuff I wish I had. Brad Meltzer writes like he was on the staff for all seven years, and is a nut for structure, which helped more than I like admitting. Jane Espenson, Brian K. Vaughn, Wait, didn't I just promise not to do this? Everyone brought such love and talent to the table. Writers and artists and inkers and colorists and letters and editors I've left in the cold. Sorry, Sierra. In order to wrap this up, the point is, this has been a long, strange trip, but it worked when it did, because so many overqualified souls poured themselves into it. I'm grateful. I'm grateful to the guys at IDW, particularly Chris Rael and Brian Lynch, for handling the Angel series with such passion and hilarity and for being kind and cooperative when I decided the two universes needed to be under one roof. And I'm grateful to you guys for coming on the ride. I promise it won't get smoother. We've got a lot of new and old friends along, some new titles, and a bunch of limited series. It's nuts. I'm exhausted by the end of season eight. So why am I so giddy about season nine? Maybe I'm a fan. Joss. I think that he wrapped up this season quite truthfully. I like the idea like, you know what? There were some missteps. I actually really appreciate the honesty that's in that, and I don't have a lot more to say beyond that. I agree. There, I mean, we've covered it in depth at this point. There are aspects of season eight that I love. There are aspects of season eight that I could do without. Sometimes it gets a little too big. Sometimes it gets a little too plot driven. Sometimes we just delve into things I don't care about. But the reality is, at the end of the day, for as much love or as much flack as I might give it, it really kind of depends on a story to story basis. I couldn't be happier that this world continued. Well, and it's it's so easy to see the level of love that every person poured into this. Even those stories that we didn't really connect to that we talked about today, they're totally just people wanting to expand that world that they've spent so much time building. They just wanted to show us what it looked like. I can't fault that. And the big deal here is having Joss and the writers from the show involved. There have been many... Uh, intellectual properties that have been continued in comic book form in one form or another that aren't actually canon. Joss is really the guy who pioneered, hey, I'm going to continue my thing in a different medium. 
And this opened the door, especially for the first couple of years following, where a bunch of shows picked up on the same idea. It's kind of mellowed more now, but, I mean, he really pioneered a new idea. And overall, it it works. It really does. It's... I mean, the reason we're here, I love this medium. I love this story, and I am thrilled beyond belief that he got to continue. At this point, it's been a comic book series longer than it was a TV show. Which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Yeah. No, I love this world, and I am so happy it continues, and I am looking forward to diving into a more coherent story in the future. And thus, on to season nine. Yeah, when we're all under the same roof again, and we can actually deal with everyone all at once, except for most of Angel's supporting cast. Bring everyone back! Hmm. On that note... I'm not going to reiterate that thought at all. Often and always. Many times. Dear listener... You don't know how many times I've heard that on and off air. So many times. (laughs) So where can you find us? Yeah. Let's wrap it up, I suppose. Feels weird. Season 8 was such a beast. But now we're on to Season 9. Yeah, let's leave it behind. You can find the show over at editorsnotecomics.com on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. If you want to get the show a week early, you can go over to patreon.com slash editorsnotecomics. One dollar a month will get you this show one week early every single week. And you can also find the show over on iTunes and YouTube and other podcasting platforms. Please rate, review, subscribe so that other people can find us. It actually does help us a lot. And send us an email. Talk to us. Right now I'm just talking to an egg crate screen. It's my soundproofing phone. Right. But yeah, if you want to email us, uh, we can be found at editorsnotecomics at gmail.com. And end of places you can find us. So we'll see you next week. Oh yeah, and I guess I have a store. You didn't say that? Do I? I mean, hopefully. I don't know. I spaced out at the beginning of your spiel. <laughs> These come out like two months in advance. Hopefully, I still have a store. So, look, if you're ever up in Maine, come say hi to us. Look, the world of small business is a scary place. So, please support us on Patreon and support us in real life at the store. Dear God, please. And. Too real. On that note, we'll see you next week for season nine. Yeah, where we get. Probably my favorite new writer on this series since Brian Lynch. Okay, bye. See ya.